very warm welcome to you this morning. If you're new here, my name's Mike, I'm a curate at this church, and it's lovely to uh, spend some time in your company now. What songs make up the soundtrack to your life? I want you to stop and think for a moment. What songs were special to you when you were growing up, when you were a teenager, when you were getting together with either a first boyfriend or girlfriend? What songs were special to you when you split up? If you're married, to what song did you dance your first dance? What songs bring back memories of holidays or good times? What songs help you process pain or hurt? How does it feel when you hear these songs on the radio now? What emotions do they invoke? How do they make you react physically? Are they comforting or rousing? Do they make you feel happy or sad? Do they make you think of the future or do they take you on a trip down memory lane? Let me give you 30 seconds now to think of a song that's important to you. What song, as you think about it, sorry, what place does that song take you to in your mind as you think about it? Just do that now. That place that you've just been in. The Psalms did the same for Jesus. The Psalms are the songs that made up the soundtrack to Jesus' life. The Psalms are so much more than words on a page to be taught. They're like poetry that lifts off the page and takes flight, takes on a life of its own. The Psalms speak to our affections as individuals, and as such we can't help but experience them in light of our own context and place. And this is good because it allows us to own them for ourselves. But they were also written to be sung corporately as a congregation of God's faithful people singing off the same hymn sheet. And this means we need to learn something of their underlying rhythm and melody. But more than this though, for centuries the Psalms has also been used as a prayer book. In the Psalms we've been given a language to speak to God when we don't have our own words. The Psalms are therefore also a school for those learning to pray. In the Psalms, King David and others speak heartfelt petitions to God. They are raw and they are honest. The Psalms refuse to shy away from the hard times in life. But now, as we begin our mini-series, our summer mini-series on singing the Psalms with Jesus, and we learn to sing and to speak to God... In Psalm 19, we first see how God speaks to us. Firstly, God speaks to us through creation. So I'd like you to open your Bibles up to page 552, if you've got them closed. And we're going to relax a bit, and we're going to watch a clip now. You might want to refer to the psalm as you're just listening uh, to this clip and watching it on the screen. God speaks creation. All of creation caught up in the mind's eye of God. In verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. God speaks to us through his creation. 
Consider the size, the magnificence, the beauty, the complexity of our universe. It boggles the mind. 14 billion years in the making. It's too big to comprehend. All we can do is look up in wonder and awe. You see, the heavens declare the glory of God. They're part of God's universal witness to himself. When we look up at the sky, it's like God preaching a sermon to us, explaining all of his magnificence. In verse 2, the witness of God in creation has been pouring forth speech day after day, displaying the knowledge of God to those who tune in. Just as the Apostle Paul says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, as that people are without excuse. So when we gaze up at a clear night sky, we shouldn't be surprised if we find ourselves caught up in the transcendent, wondering why God is mindful of us. Such experiences are spiritual. They communicate the deepest intuitions to our soul. They cause us to want to worship. We have to worship. We need to know who to say thank you to. Thank you, God, for your awesome creation. This experience of looking up to the heavens causes King David to break out into praise. And King David invites invites people of every tribe and every nation to join in with him too. While there is much mystery to our universe, it's spectacular in form. There is nowhere on earth where God's voice cannot be heard. So next, David exclaims, in the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. Just take a moment to look at King David's language and through it, the awesome power of God. David sings to God who is in control of the stars. When was the last time that you pitched a tent for you and your family? Maybe you're heading off camping in the next few weeks. How are your tent pitching skills? Well, whether you're a dab hand at it or a complete novice, whereas you'll use pegs and guide ropes to keep your tent secure and in place, God ordained the force of gravity to control our Earth's orbit within our solar system so that we're perfectly positioned to continually benefit from the heat of the sun. The complex reality of the universe and our place within it is more incredible than anything our imaginations could ever dream up. But unfortunately, not everybody attributes their wonder to the actions of God. So what might stop people singing this first half of Psalm 19 like King David? Well, some in the cohort of Richard Dawkins and the like, who wrote The God Delusion, like to believe that we're an accidental byproduct of nature. Life is merely a result of matter plus time plus chance. This turns us into cosmic orphans. We have to abandon any sense of real or outward meaning or purpose to life 
if there is no God of creation, then our existence becomes absurd. My love for you is no more than just a chemical reaction. Instinctively, I can't countenance this view. If you show me a sort of a close-up of our DNA structure, I'd want to insist, like the head of the Human Genome Project, Francis Collins, it bears all the hallmarks of intelligent design. Others aren't adamantly against the Creator God. They're just too busy to take in the view. They've stopped looking up at the stars in wonder because they're too busy worried about tripping over their own feet. Too busy treading the hamster wheel. So they settle for shorter horizons that lack creative energy. Their minds have been dulled by the narrow confines of our materialistic world. They've lost any sense of the possibilities of what a creator God can do. Sometimes we need to slow down and breathe. Still others have their view of the heavens blocked by false ceilings that humans construct by their sin. Currently, some of our church members are out in Ukraine supporting the Ukraine-Christian partnership in their trip. They're out in western Ukraine. And Jen Green, who is on the community team out there, she reports of one man who was working abroad for a month in order to feed his family. At the end of his work abroad, he was refused payment. He was told if he tried to take the money, then his employees would shoot him. He only had enough money left in his pocket to get halfway home. And after that, he hitchhiked. He had to get home with no money for food, By the time he did get home, he was starving. These are the harsh realities that many people face in the world. Human sin, injustice and corruption disfigure the glory of God's creation. And rather than acknowledge our brokenness, we turn around and blame God for giving us free will. Therefore, as Christians, we have a massively important job to do. To speak up for God's goodness, to act in such a way as to break down these false barriers, these false ceilings, to help people admire the view. However, according to Psalm 19, this alone will not do. Yes, people should be instinctively stirred in their inner instincts by the knowledge of God of creation. But on its own, this creation revelation is limited. True worshippers need to worship God in spirit and in truth. People need to be able to focus their wonder in, in a way which speaks of God accurately. I remember a time that I had uh, a chance to go to holiday to Jordan. And as part of my trip, I visited a place called Petra. I'm not sure if any of you have been there, uh, but many of you will have seen the film Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Petra is the place where the last part of the film is shot. As you walk through a very narrow gorge, all of a sudden, a city that has been hidden for years opens up in front of you, carved out of the mountain rocks. And so after stopping by a site called the Treasury, I then wandered up to a place known as the Monastery. Now, both of these sites are spectacular, but nothing could prepare me for what happened next. As I walked up to the top of the mountain, 
I took in the most spectacular view. I stood there transfixed for two hours with a cup of mint tea I bought from a Bedouin. And I looked out onto the land, or part of the land that God had promised to Moses. And as I looked up to the left through a mountain peak, there was Aaron's tomb. While others were rightly amazed by the view before them, I was caught up in a much bigger drama of God. God's purposes for the world to redeem and to make new. So my second point is that God speaks to us through his covenant. This is what we find in Psalm 19, verses 7 to 9. God's covenant with humanity reveals his true character. It helps us worship and adore him. When we look at the promises of Old Testament scripture, and we see their fulfillment in the New Testament, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we meet an intimate and personal God who calls us to be known as his children and friends. Maybe you know how the Apostle Paul addressed the men in Athens in Acts chapter 17. He says to them, after, after wandering around Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Vague spirituality, just merely looking up at the stars, on its own has no power for salvation. Without a right focus, our worship will only honour false gods. So in Psalm 19, King David celebrates the God who he meets in his covenant word. God's covenant word means his laws, statutes, precepts, commands and ordinances. This part of Psalm 19 is basically a heavily condensed version of Psalm 119. And through God's covenant instruction, King David learns how to live. God's law is perfect. His statutes trustworthy. His precepts right. His commands radiant. His ordinances firm. And the fear or holy reverence they produce is pure. Many people have never engaged with the Bible because they fear living in accordance with God's instruction will narrow their perspective on life. But the reality is that living how God asks is a much better way to live. Let's look at the six benefits which King David lists. God's word refreshes the soul. How many of us get rightly tired and frustrated and worn out as we look at the daily news? However, if we just turn open the Bible to one of the Gospels and read one of them, it gives us renewed energy to take on life and be a good force for change in the world. Secondly, God's word makes the simple wise. Admittedly, this is more useful for some of us more than others, and that includes me. Wisdom is described as the ability to make decisions now which you'll be pleased with in the future. Reading the Bible makes us make more of the life choices now that we'll be pleased with in the future more of the time. Thirdly, God's word gives joy to the heart. Joyful people are thankful. The good fun to be around. 
when we're led with, by them, it makes us keen and willing to go in the direction they want to take us. God's word gives light to the eyes, fourthly. It gives us a higher vision of life rather than just conforming to the humdrum of what society expects. It can help us to fulfill our potential in accordance with the way that God has made us. Fifthly, God's word endures forever. It helps us to live in the present with eternity in mind. This helps us to address our priorities in accordance with what really matters in life. God's word is righteous. By living in accordance with its principles, it will help us live well amongst those we're around. Hopefully you can see now then why in verse 10, King David sings of God's word as being more precious than gold and sweeter than the finest honey. Now, I don't actually own any pure gold, but it was fairly easy to get my wife to pop to the co-op and bring some honey. Watch now as this honey just smoothly drips into this honey pot. Do you know, already I'm excited about tasting it. I feel just like Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) That tastes so good. That is how King David describes God's word. Like precious gold, we should admire its beauty and value. Like sweet honey, we should want to scoff it down. Have you ever thought of God's revelation in the Bible in those terms? Because an interesting thing starts to happen as we focus in on who God is and what he has done. It makes us examine our own relative position before God and see just how far we fall short. God's covenant word convicts us of sin. As King David gets to verse 12, I imagine this song that he's singing in Psalm 19 changes tempo and key. King David moves from outward thoughts on the glory of the creator God to an inward reflection of who he is. Who can discern their own errors? Who, uh, forgive my hidden faults, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Like the apostle Peter stood before Jesus. King David recognises his own insignificance before the almighty God of creation and his thoughts shift to woe is me. King David now recognises his complete dependence on the God of creation for his salvation. King David knows only God is big enough to be his rock, his redeemer, his security and his saviour. And this is how we come to understand the true value of singing Psalm 19 in full. 
not just stopping halfway. It makes us wonder at the glory of God who speaks through his amazing creation. But it also focuses us in on the covenant God who out of his love for us brought his word to life in the person of Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus, who we depend on for our forgiveness of sin. So, before Mike comes up, I want to leave us with one question to consider. How much of this psalm, as we've looked at it, can you sing and own for yourself? If you can sing every verse, then that's great. But if perhaps not, come and speak to me later. And maybe I'll persuade you with some honey.